Today's episode of the Gaucho 9 Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Kyle's Kitchen. Kyle is open at their locations in Goleta and Santa Barbara, so head on in and grab a tasty burger, some fries, farmhouse salad, or their ice-cold lemonade. This episode also brought to you by our social media pages. Follow the Gauchos on Instagram and Twitter, UCSB underscore baseball, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram, UCSB Gaucho 9 Podcast, and on Twitter, Gaucho 9 Podcast. On today's episode, we've got the MLB report for this past week. We had the Major League debut of Kyle Nelson. We also had Dylan Tate throwing a couple innings and Bieber's start against the Twins. So that will be first. And then we've got Tom Myers, former assistant coach for the Gauchos, who coached for many years under Bob Bronsema. He played for the Gauchos under Coach Ferrer, and he is currently an area scout for the Chicago Cubs here in the Santa Barbara area. He's also done a lot of great things for the uh, local youth in the Santa Barbara area with the Santa Barbara Grizzlies and the Cubs. So that's what's on tap for this week. Let's get to the MLB report, and then we'll have Tom Myers here on this week's episode of the Gaucho 9 Podcast. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. There's the one-strike pitch, and Mitchell belts us to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He strikes out the side for the second consecutive inning. Armani belts it to deep center. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Here's the 0-2 pitch. And a curveball is swung on him. And the score is two. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 champions of the Midwest. All right, it's time for the MLB report for this Tuesday, September the 15th. We are recording this on Sunday night. We wanted to make sure that we watch the weekend in case Dylan Tate pitched anymore or if Kyle Nelson pitched anymore because that's the big news of the week. Kyle Nelson called up by the Indians on Wednesday and he made his Major League debut on Thursday against Kansas City. And unfortunately, the box score did not reflect how he threw and that's what we're going to break down with Nelly because he had he was 5 for 6 on first pitch strikes and he was ahead of Whitmerfield and Raul Mondesi 0-2 before those guys wound up getting hits but in his debut Nelson two-thirds of an inning gave up three hits allowed four runs uh, but as we anticipated he made it up to the bigs and we want to offer up a huge congratulations to Kyle Nelson because he deserves it and we anticipate him getting more chances and he's going to do very well uh, at the big league level. So, and uh, that's Aldoberto Montesi, not Raul Montesi. So thank you for, uh, thank you for that. David, I can see you typing it in on Google notes right now. So uh, what do you guys think of Kyle? I thought uh, he had a great, I mean, you know, first outing in the bigs, the environment's kind of weird, right? Like you expect to show up and have all these fans and stuff and you got the crowd noise being piped in and whatnot, but for him to go out there, first pitch of his major league debut is a strike. Um, beyond that, he goes five or six on first pitch strikes with the six batters he faces. First guy, first two guys he faces, he gets two outs on ground balls and seven pitches. So he starts out hot, and then like you said, he he had a couple of guys where he wanted them and just wasn't quite able to to get those put away. But I mean, all in all, not a bad first outing for anybody. Yeah, uh, congrats! Congratulations to Kyle. That's that's awesome. I remember you talking about Shane Bieber's first outing, or yeah, I believe it was that first episode, and he was saying how he had a bunch of buddies all chattering him like when he was warming up, and he said that he had all those nerves throughout the day, and then once he got out there and was thrown on the mound and saw his friends back there, uh, everything got a little bit easier for him. He felt a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more settled in at home, knowing that he had some support out there, and. Uh, that's just, it's like you said, Tilly, it's a little different now. Um, you know, I'm sure Nelly appreciated being out there with Shane. Shane probably had a lot of great tips for him going in. Um, but I think he did, he, he did the job that he had to do. Um, you know, getting those first two outs, huge. Um, and then you just got to throw strikes after that. And starting off those next two batters with 0-2, he did what he needed to do in those situations. And then um, but once it gets a little bit tough, you might start to overthink, but... 
I think all in all, it was it was awesome to see him out there, and, and we're glad he's up there now and can't wait to watch the next couple outings. Yeah, and keep in mind, he's making his Major League debut at the end of this shortened season, and he hasn't pitched in a competitive game in probably a year. So you, he had a short stint spring training, probably not much, and then quarantine hits. And then it's not like he's playing minor league ball right now. And other teams, like I remember at the beginning of the season, the Astros, their entire bullpen was rookie pitchers. And they got off to a good start. And I think part of that's because they're facing hitters that are they don't have their timing down. They're not up to speed. But now the hitters have caught up to the pitching, and Nelly is going out there and, and facing you know, the meat of the Royals' order. That's a tough ask, especially considering that he hasn't pitched in a competitive game in over a year. And to get the first two outs, you know, kudos to him, and he's going to do nothing but good things. So congratulations to Kyle Nelson on his Major League debut against the Royals this week. Other gauchos in action, Dylan Tate today on Sunday uh, took his first loss, but he had a couple outings during the week against the Mets and the Yankees. Uh, the, the loss today where he gave up two runs that were cashed in by another reliever of his that we'll get to, but that broke a streak of five straight appearances where he didn't allow a hit or a run. And uh, I'm sure he's tired of facing the Yankees because uh, four of his last five appearances have been against the Bronx Bombers, who were cold, and now they're hot. They've won, I think, four or five games in a row. But uh, Dylan pitched well today. He, uh, you know, again, the box score didn't really reflect him. He got a couple of bad breaks. Yeah, so like you said, Kevin, uh, kind of similar to what we just talked about with Nelly, right? Like he gets the first two batters out, eight pitches. So he's kind of cruising, uh, runs into a little bit of trouble, gets beat by the shift, and then uh, close play at first base on a little bit of a pitcher fielding, uh, just misses the bag by a couple inches on that step. And then uh, from there, they make a move to the pen, and uh, he actually – the two runs he allowed today and the loss that he took, he wasn't actually the one that gave up the hit that allowed those runs. So he was responsible for the base runners on because of what happened. But uh, the reliever that they brought, they brought in Tanner Scott was actually the one that gave up the double that allowed those runs. Well, I think he executed really well getting those first two outs um, in eight pitches is huge. And then uh, you get two ground balls and unfortunately they don't go your way. It's just the trouble that comes with being a relief pitcher. So Tate, you know, he, he's had, he's been lights out, as we had mentioned, he's, he's dominating. He's not really getting hard contact off of him and, and he's trusting his defense. And uh, just this week or this outing, I should say, he unfortunately didn't get those, those ground ball outs. So just tough for tough to see that loss. Um, you know, last year he were, his record was 0-2 and then he just gets his first win. So um that loss is going to – he's not going to really appreciate it, but I think it'll help motivate him and, and get him back to the grind once uh, this week comes around. Yeah, and Tate on the year now, 1-1, one one, 3.21 ERA, 14 innings, and nine appearances in relief. And the Orioles, you know, they're 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 hanging around the East. They're, they're probably not going to make the postseason. Maybe they have a shot at the eighth seed. I, I doubt it, but he's going to log some more innings this year and uh, – Knowing Dylan, he will use that as as a way to improve for next year and solidify his position with the organization. So uh, Dylan took the L today, but uh, he did get his first career win last week, and he's uh, trying to make his mark in the Orioles' bullpen. Okay, Bieber on Friday pitched against the Twins in Minnesota in uh, – some rain. It wasn't like torrential rain, but it was wet, and the game was delayed. But it was pretty typical Bieber, where he went, you know, six. Actually, he went seven innings, and it was only two pitches, two pitches that cost him the game. And the Indians, who have been scuffling uh, as of today, they've lost six in a row, and their offense has been almost nothing to speak of. I think there was a, we'll get to some numbers here, but they had like three runs scored in 33 innings at, at one point. But they got no run support. Kenta Maeda was great for the Twins on the other side. Um, Bieber did make a great play in, I think, the second inning. And on the Google Docs, we were writing down notes. And I wrote Bieber equals uh, the goat emoji 
comma athlete. So we got a good laugh over that because he made a bare hand play moving off the right side of the mound. Um, nice and smooth. So if he hears this, he, he'll appreciate that. Um, but, uh, well, you, you know, you, you listen to starting nine as well. And, uh, Dallas Braden, a big Oakland A's guy. He, uh, he loves any time a pitcher gets off the mound well and, and makes a play. And in the rain, that's that's even tougher to do. And Shane made that look kind of effortless. And uh, you know, that was one thing that I was wondering is how he would how he would adjust to the rain. Um, I think as the as the game went on, he really adjusted well to it. But that play was pretty pretty nice. That's a little bare hand there. And over the course of the game, he became the first pitcher in Cleveland franchise history to reach 100 strikeouts in his first 10 starts of the season and also the fastest to 100 strikeouts in Major League history. 62 in, I think it was two-thirds innings. Uh, the the broadcasters were, were talking about it, and they were you know, trying to explain, like, it's not a knock on Bieber that, like, the rest of the great pitchers that have pitched, you know, the Martinez's, the, the Ruth's, the Christy Mathewson's, like, those people, like, didn't rack up the amount of strikeouts, but it's just the way the game is progressing where there's more strikeouts and it's more accepted to strike out. But Bieber's doing the work and he's racking up the strikeouts. And he had a stretch where he struck out five guys and six batters when the rain slowed down. Um, and he's just been on an absolute tear. And it's, it was a quality start in the end, wasn't it? Even though he gave up three runs, he threw seven innings, still a quality start. It was a quality start. And, you know, he despite the, like you said, it was two pitches that kind of, that kind of set it set the game away from him, but he's still leading the league in, in ERA. He's uh 0.14 higher than uh, Jacob deGrom for the Mets. Uh, he's at one five, three right now. He's still leading the league in wins. Uh, all those stats that you want to throw out, he he's, he's got them. Um, he's, he's that quality start was good for him to get back out there despite, you know, only going five. I'm sure he was hungry to get some more innings and, and uh, he really settled into that game pretty nicely. Yeah, to touch touch a little bit on that, I mean, again, another start where he doesn't quite get the run support that you'd love to get as a starting pitcher. This year he's, I think we touched on it last week, around 2.8 runs per game, which is the second lowest among starters with at least 10 starts this year. So uh, you mentioned it, Kevin, a little bit with the Indians scoring, I think, three runs over the course of 33 innings in a recent stretch um, leading up to Shane's start. So just hasn't hasn't had the offensive support there, but I mean, he, he keeps racking up the accolades and doing his job on that side of things. So you just hope in the few starts that he's got left that they can find some runs and, and get string together some wins so they can get some postseason opportunities as well. Yes. Yeah, so Bieber falls to seven and one on the season. It's his first loss. He was four and zero on the road going into that start. So his next start, he will face the Tigers on Thursday, September 17th, that'll be a first pitch on the Pacific at 4:10. Uh, another road game, shocker, for Bieber. And then he's also slated to start against the White Sox. And the Indians, 26 and 21, they're right in the thick of things as far as the playoff race goes. And with the two wild card spots, you know, there's a good chance that they're going to make it. Uh, and as it lines up according to the schedule. He would be he would be slated to start the last game of the season against the Pirates, so it's not officially booked that he's going to start that game, uh, but we can speculate as to whether or not he will make a third start um, at the end of the season. But two more chances to watch Bieber during the regular season. We hope that there's three. You know, it would be kind of cool if they're battling for like a division title or a playoff spot, and Bieber's on the mound uh, with that responsibility. So. Keep an eye out Thursday for Bieber's next start. Well, that'll do it for the MLB Report for this week, September 15th. And uh, keep an eye out for Tate, Nelly, and Bieber's start against the Tigers on Thursday. All right, today on the Gaucho 9 podcast, we've got a scout who was born in San Jose. He went to Archbishop Mitty High School and played at UCSB 
from 1991 to 1993. He was drafted by the Oakland A's and spent four years in pro ball. He's got his master's in education from Azusa Pacific, and he spent a multitude of years as an assistant coach with Bob Bronsma at UCSB and currently a area scout supervisor for the Chicago Cubs. Please welcome to the Gaucho 9 podcast for the first time, Tommy Myers. Tom, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I had a rough weekend on the golf course, but it's a new week, so that means it could be a good week on the golf course. Um, How was your weekend? Fantastic. Uh, I got to do what I love to do, and that's uh, work with young athletes on the baseball field, uh, watch some games, uh, coach a little bit, uh, enjoy the Santa Barbara lifestyle. So it was a perfect weekend. Yeah, so you've been with Cubs since 2011, and we'll get to that towards the end. But what have you been able to do over the last month um, as far as scouting? Like, What type of normalcy have you experienced uh, recently? Well, I would say everything has been modified since the beginning of the pandemic. And for those people who have followed baseball, the draft was uh, definitely modified and it was only five rounds. But I really haven't stopped working for the Cubs. Uh, we've made some changes internally. Uh, fortunately, I'll be around at least one more year with the organization. And um, we've had Zoom conversations with the front office uh, scouting director. So uh, my fall is basically the same as any year, but now it's much more difficult to find games because uh, the high school calendar has been modified. There's very few events, if any, in California. Uh, I will have to go out of state moving forward. And then we're keeping our fingers crossed that the college, the four-year level and the junior college fall programs start in October. So if that's to happen, then... Uh, my weekly calendar will be filled with opportunities to evaluate players moving forward. Yeah, of course, that'll be the goal because I mean, I'm, I'm so used to seeing you at Cesar Wasaka Stadium, I mean, at least once a week. Right? That's right. Like like a, a Thursday scrimmage when, when some of the older guys are going, like you're usually there. And I guess this weekend you were in, in Vegas, you were out of state, and it's it's still kind of – I mean, it's still early fall season. So but what would the landscape be like around this time? This is September 14th. What would it be like normally around this time of year? Like, what would you be doing? Well, at, you know, the trip to Vegas usually kicks off my fall. And so I traveled out there um, and just basically set up shop like I normally would. And it was nice to know that College of Southern Nevada was set up to scrimmage and show their players and then the Los Angeles Dodgers have a scout team out there so that would present many opportunities for me to see the 2021 class of prospects Um, as I walked in the field things were definitely set up to be COVID appropriate Uh, the thing that was surprising to me that, that there were only two other scouts in attendance on this day so part of me was saying to myself well the Cubs are winning today because I get to see these players and there's uh, several organizations that won't. And I also scratched my head and asked myself, where are the other 27 teams? But uh, there was a tournament being held in Arizona. So I think a lot of organizations had representation there. And then there's also teams right now that are not letting their scouts out. Uh, I've been very fortunate. The Cubs haven't told us to stay off the road. They've allowed us, to continue to do our jobs and we want to find it as an advantage uh, during this time to gather as much information we can for next year's draft that will be held in July. So Wednesday was a great day. Got to see some high-end players in the Las Vegas area, but literally 24 hours later, they shut the doors on the scouting community. So the Cubs did win in the sense I was there first, but now moving forward, the other 27 organizations will not get to see them play until uh, COVID rules and regulations change. So I guess, so there's, there's some good in there and there's some bad in there. And that's, that's kind of the way things have been for the last six months. Cause I mean, it's, 
it's good that people are able to start up and, and, and play and scouts are able to go out, but it's it's just kind of frustrating that there's that there's a little continuity and we don't need to get into that. This is about you. We want to talk about you, Tom, because you are a lifelong coach and, and I really mean that because I, I was going through your, your profile and reading where you've been and what you've done and what you've accomplished and it's 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 quite impressive because I've met a lot of life lifelong coaches and they're and they're great people and and I really mean that um but I want to start with you know how you became a, a baseball person how you wound up at, at UC Santa Barbara uh because you played there in 91 to 93 and you went to Archbishop Mitty you're a Bay Area guy originally so like what was your path to to UC Santa Barbara how did it start well, I appreciate the words that you just said, Kevin, because uh, I feel very grateful to be in the shoes, uh, my shoes right now, to be considered a lifelong coach. Uh, there's been a lot of people that have given me opportunities, helped in this uh, journey, and they continue to do so. Um, growing up in NorCal, you know, I was a Giants A's fan, Raiders, never the 49ers. Grew up in an athletic family. My dad was a college football player. Uh, worked in the NFL as a referee. So I was always around athletics, uh, realized I was never going to be 6'4", a big man to play football, but I, I grew a liking and eventual love for the game of baseball because I was influenced by my peers, teammates, and again, being surrounded by great coaches. Um, attending Archbishop Mitty, I played for Bill Hutton, who's a legend uh, in the West Catholic League, and he was 25 at the time when I played varsity baseball for him. So he was a young coach growing his wings, but he was passionate, full of fire. And as a player, I always responded to that type of coaching style. Now, leaving high school, I was just an average student, uh, good enough to get into state schools, uh, an underdeveloped player that needed to go to junior college first. And I had a passion for the game and I ended up going to San Jose City College to start and you know being now a mentor to athletes and student athletes uh, the junior college route is a, a good route in a lot of ways for the academic reasons as well as for those athletes that haven't grown or uh, hit their stride athletically I went there was a position player I uh, played for Barry Woodhead who was a great coach uh, we're talking Jerry Weinstein was up at Sac City um, Colleges, uh, Sam Mateo, uh, the Nochi family was running that program. Uh, there were a lot of great coaches in the Northern California area and baseball was strong. So I was lucky to be in a great environment to develop. And Barry Woodhead moved me to the mound at that time because I couldn't hit. I was a weak hitter, but I had some arm strength. And I remember the day he told me, Tom, you better get your pitchers mitt put down the bat because you're going to need to do this full time. I called my dad and I said, dad, I'm, I really better start getting serious about my academics because I think my baseball career is going to be short lived. Uh, it turns out the pitching opportunity opened up a great door for me. Um, at the time uh, there was college coaches that started to recruit me. Al Ferrer was one of the more aggressive coaches and uh, made me a very strong offer out of junior college to play for the Gauchos. And um, University of Arizona was another uh, top flight school that was recruiting me. I chose the Pac-12 and I went there for a year, played for um, the legend Jerry Kindle and played with several guys that went on to play in the major leagues. Got that Pac-12 experience, but it was humbling. And uh, I wasn't ready for that jump mentally. Uh, I had to put my tail between my legs and come back home. So I was at a baseball crossroads and my brother was at UC Santa Barbara and I figured it'd be the safest spot financially and just a great academic fit moving forward for my family. I called coach Ferrer. He uh, greeted me with open arms, uh, had a little bit of financial assistance to provide but more importantly, it was another opportunity to continue to play. And uh, at that time, I had met lifelong friends from that experience playing for Coach Ferrer. He gave me a chance to start, relieve, 
showcase my abilities. Bob Bronsima was the assistant coach who was um, advocated for me quite a bit as a player. It was a strong influence as a player for me. Um, I ended up getting drafted. I had a great year and uh, we had a great team. We just came short of making the postseason, but personally, it was a life changing experience. No doubt about it. Got my degree later from UT Santa Barbara, played in the minor leagues, went back, got my master's. And as I decided to make the journey into coaching, one of the first people to call me was Bob Bronsima. He had a pitching coach opportunity in 1998. I was living in town. My one year that I actually worked in the real world, I was in sales. And he asked me what I was doing. He had a young left-hander that could really spin a curveball that he wanted to keep in the program. And he was looking for a, a, a coach to fill the void as a, a pitching coach. So I uh, took the leap of faith, said, I'm going to do this. I want to be part of it. Why not? I live in Santa Barbara. What a great program. Bob had success with his program. Things were going in the right direction. And uh, I jumped on board. So since 1998, really, uh, I've been involved with baseball 24-7. Uh, and because of Al Ferrer, because of Bob Bronsima, and because of UC Santa Barbara, I've been able to carve out a, a very fruitful career as a baseball coach. Well, it, it encouraged me, encourages me when you say that the junior college route was a great way to go because – coming out of high school myself, like I, I probably didn't have the right people telling me that it was a good place to go. I probably had a, a stigma in my head that, oh, I'm too good for junior college. And that was definitely not true. Like that was probably the right place for me to go as a player and potentially as a, as a student and an individual, uh, like socially and all that stuff. So like the junior college route, there are so many great people involved with junior college baseball. It's incredible. Like going through these podcasts and hearing players and coaches talk about some of their mentors. It was so many times it's my junior college coach. It's the Jerry Weinsteins. It's, it's the, the, the people that you meet at that junior college level because it's so transformative and you grow so much during those couple of years as a, as a person, as a player. So another example of how the junior college route can put you on this great path. Um, I just wanted to get that out of the way. No, <laughs> I couldn't uh, agree with you more. Yeah. And I would say it's almost nine out of 10 high school athletes need to really explore that route for the mental and physical development side of things. I mean, yeah, socially going to four-year school right out of the gate and meeting some friends in the dorms is a great thing. And hopefully we get back to that environment, but if you want to be serious about your baseball career, the junior college route is uh, is a great uh, was a pathway moving forward. But so digging into that, and I I wrote some notes down because I you know, usually want to dig in and try and find like what was the motivation, like what made you want to get into coaching, and based on that tale, it doesn't sound like there was any one moment. It doesn't sound like there was some some like burning passion that was growing for a long time. It was kind of a, you found yourself in this position and there are these people reaching out to you and you were in this flexible state where you're like, okay, I could go back to baseball. Like I know this, I'm passionate about this and I want to give this a go. That's kind of sounds like what it was like. It, it, coincidentally, it worked out that way. But in the back of my mind, I, I felt like I had been given a blueprint or in a lot of ways, I tell kids, I have a cheat sheet for you in the sense that if you do these certain things and with your physical ability and your mental makeup, you can do these small things. You can take yourself to another level, a level that you maybe never expected, but it's going to put you on a platform that makes you uh, a high level athlete. And I think that was the gift I was given from my high school coach, junior college coach from Al Ferrer, Bob Bronsma, Jerry Kindle. Uh, being around the Jerry Weinsteins as a player and then as a coach. I mean, there's so many people I've uh, been around. My first major uh, pro coach with the Oakland A's, 
Uh, Gil Patterson has been a lifelong coach, coached in the major leagues. He's now the pitching coordinator again for the Oakland A's. This gentleman had so much wisdom. He made you feel like a million dollars, even though you might not have been. He treated everybody the same. And some of my base, best professional experiences was because of how he made the game simple, but made you feel good. And yeah, there's X's and O's that you need to teach all the kids, but building somebody's confidence is not very difficult to do. It's just by treating them the right way. And trust me, I've never been always the guy, the rah-rah, pat you on the back, but I've been around some of those people and they allowed me to grow and be my best self. And now I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, it's not always a linear path, even as a coach trying to get that point across. But that's my goal every day I'm around an athlete, trying to give him vision and belief that he can be great. Well, yeah, it's, it's the game too. Like baseball is not a simple game. It, it might be simple in how it looks, but in order to play it, it's not simple. And, and it's, it's so challenging to reach success and there's so much failure involved that a lot of times that's what I needed as a player. I needed positive reinforcement constantly. And I had success with coaches that were, were great at that. And I probably didn't have as much success with guys that were a little more strict and, and, and tougher on the player. And I think it, it goes both ways. Obviously there's lots of different players who, who tend to different philosophies and coaching strategies, but like, I'm all about the positive reinforcement and I think it's critical on, on a baseball field just because you have to deal with failure so much. And when you're growing and it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like, why isn't this working for me? I was good a year ago and now, now I might stink. Like it, it's hard to, to grapple with that. And it takes a, a coach with a sound mind to, to work you through it. Correct. And again, even my coaching evolution, I've gone through, uh, you know, a not, like I said, a nonlinear path because I was more of the forceful in your face guy. And I've learned how to change that. You have to be, you have to figure out the psychology of the player because some guys need the kick in the butt. Some guys need the arm around their shoulder. Um, so each player, each individual is different. So your style has to be flexible. Uh, you can't be one way anymore. Because it's not the old days you could be firm and it was more of an in your face approach. Today's player requires a little bit of both. So you come back to UCSB in 1998 and in the college game, there's lots of interaction with local youth. Like currently we've got, we do clinics, we do camps during the, the summer. Hopefully we'll get back to that next summer and have eight glorious weeks of youth camp, uh, but there's always an involvement with the, you know, the volunteer coach with with local youth and and having them grow their games, you know, on on the college field, uh, in camp or clinic or whatnot. And you got involved with that right away. And it may not have been the Santa Barbara Grizzlies in 1998, but it has grown into that. Uh, but what was your what kind of got you started with uh, youth baseball uh, in the Santa Barbara area? Well, I think it was a key thing for Coach Bronson and myself was to get to learn the players locally um, because, as we know, especially in Santa Barbara, there's a lot of great athletes. Trying to keep these kids in town long-term is the goal. A lot of them like to leave to have different experiences, but I was working at the university and getting a chance to meet the families, the players, working with them, and being hopeful that one day they would be gauchos. And over the course of time, we did have a few local kids uh, end up being in our program and guys that I worked with individually or came through Bob Bronson's baseball camp. So uh, that was one way to get to know the families and the players. And I think uh, Coach Checkets, yourself, the entire staff has done a fantastic job um, in the last decade, uh, cementing themselves as a, a great development opportunity for the local kids. Okay, so you did you did break off from UCSB for a handful of years, and you went to Santa Clara, and you you missed that 2001 season. We've we've harped on the 2001 season. At least I'm pretty sure you missed it. 
No, I was fortunate enough to be you a were part there. of that team. Okay. No. Okay, so what was because in two thousand one you had there was a local kid there was Ryan Spielberg's was was in a Gauchi uniform. What was the two thousand one like f- from your perspective? Well, we had two great local players, Spielberg's and Matt Vasquez, Virgil Vasquez. That's right, Virgil. That we were able to get from Santa Barbara High School, and uh, Ryan was a redshirt freshman. He had a sustained a uh, wrist injury as a true freshman, so he had to sit out. And then uh, Virgil. You know, he was a strike thrower that in his senior year at Santa Barbara High continued to progress to the point where he was drafted and was considering going uh, and starting his minor or professional career with the Texas Rangers. So Coach Bronsman and myself had to re-recruit him back to UCSB and uh, let him know that he was going to have a great path in his development uh, mentally and physically as a student athlete with us. And it, as it turned out, his freshman year in 2001, he was a staple of our rotation. He turned out to be a freshman All-American. I remember going into USC against them as they were highly ranked, and he shut down a, a vaunted Trojan offense, pitching deep into the game as a freshman and showing that he had uh, ice in his veins. Uh, so it, it was great. because That year, Ryan, I believe, finished the season either with a 36 game or 38 game hitting streak, uh, which is unheard of in baseball period, but in college baseball. So both local boys uh, were top performers for that regional Gaucho team. Yeah. And it was a great team. And we've, we had Spilly on, we had Skip on Uh, Virgil will probably be on this podcast at one point or the other, but the, that Oh one team, uh, lots of fun to talk about and lots of great players and coaches on that team. Uh, so like all great things, they eventually come to an end, but you started anew and you got involved with the Cubs in 2011. So what drove you to the, through the scouting side of things? Because it's, it's similar and different at the same time. You know, you're still coaching the youth team, but you're out, traveling around and scouting and you're working for this great organization, the Chicago Cubs, and you've been a, a huge promoter of the Cubs. Uh, we've had you on campus to talk to the team about scouting and what scouts are looking for and what pro ball is like. So what was that transition like for you uh, from coaching to scouting? Well, I'd like to say this first, and hopefully Bob Bronsmall will listen to this podcast at some point in time, but it, my opportunities, again, were in baseball because uh, have been a result of the great people I've worked for my mentors and during my time at UCSB uh, Bob allowed me to go out and work in a couple summer leagues and uh, during that summer of 2011 where there happened to be some change I was the head coach for the Brewster Whitecaps in the Cape Cod League so I got a chance to spend three summers up there and um, because of Bob, he allowed me to do that to kind of um, grow my resume in baseball, uh, improve my network and potential self-worth. And that's what happened as there was going to be a transition for me as a college coach. I spoke to some organizations up there that summer. The San Francisco Giants were a team that had a need for a SoCal scout and the Cubs as well. So it was somewhat perfect timing. And a buddy of mine who's now a national cross checker with the Mets was a longtime college coach. He was an old teammate of mine. He had recommended getting into scout scouting. He said, uh, it's a great transition. You're still doing a lot of what you did as a coach. You're mentoring uh, young athletes, but there's a little bit more freedom for you to have a normal life. And I was like, really, is that the case? Uh, normal life being a baseball person. It's, it doesn't but, exist. It's a myth. Yeah, exactly. And I still think it's a myth, but uh, he had a lot of good things to say. So I explored it. It turned out the Cubs uh, made a nice offer that uh, I couldn't refuse at the time. And I've been with them now 10 years. And, um, you know, it's created another path. Uh, I'm still a coach because I do get to run an outside organization now that I'm hoping there will be future Cubs. It's a development program. Uh, here in town and the, the the things I can do with this program is 
again, get to know the parents, get to know the kids early on, what makes them tick, and aid them in their uh, development process by hopefully giving them, showing them ways to improve their skills so they can have success in high school, go on to the four-year level, and then eventually make themselves a professional prospect. Well, and I think the biggest thing for me that is maybe overlooked by by young players and, and parents who don't have experience, who don't who either didn't play the sport or any sport, or maybe have their first kid who is good and they don't have this experience of, oh, people are looking at my child as someone who could succeed at a professional sport level, a professional baseball in this instance. And like I didn't realize that there's Yes, there's the playing aspect. There's what you can do on the field, but there's all of the off the field stuff that is dug into in scouting. Is is the the parents, the how the kid is in school. Like, what are the what are the biggest things that you're looking for as a scout in an individual, like off the field, like as as a as a scout looking to draft a player and get them in part. Get them into your organization. Like, what types of things are you looking for as a scout? Yeah, and not much different than a college recruiter, what uh, your coaching staff has to go through now. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but we're making potentially million dollar investments in these athletes. And that's a lot of money. Uh, and so you cannot leave any stone unturned. I mean, you have to look deep you have to cast a wide net and you have to be around these people as much as possible because you know it's a sales uh, business and sometimes you can get a great sales job by a phone conversation or a first meeting with the player and the parents but you need to talk to their teachers the people that are closest to them any type of coach they may have from a strength coach uh, a college uh, or their high school counselor um, again there, uh, the closest you can get, the closer you can get to the player and the family, it helps you check the boxes as a scout, because it's not rocket science when it comes down to looking at tools. Anybody can go to a game and say, "Hey, that's a really good player." Uh, the rest of it is years of experience, uh, intuition, gut feel. Like, what's your gut feel on this guy, Tom? Well. I really think he is going to take the lumps, the failures of baseball well. I've seen him struggle. And that, when I go to the Gaucho games, I want to see those top guys fail, believe it or not. Um, and I want to see how they handle it. Because, you know, the top players have more good days than bad days. But I want to catch them on that bad day. Are they a good teammate? Are they there for only themselves? Okay. Uh, you know, baseball is such a long season. You can't be an isolated individual in that dugout for 60 games or 162 games. So um, fortunately, I know you and Coach Checkets very well. So I'm always asking these different questions or at least trying to, to find out the true makeup of the individual because what you see on the outside is not always uh, the true picture. You got to find out what's on the inside. Yeah, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, a player is probably going to fail the first time when they move up to the next level, and some guys could take it, some guys can't, and it's yeah, it's all about handling failure. It's a, okay, I'm going to dust my shoulders off and get up there and do it again, type of mentality that that you're probably looking for. Um, Absolutely. Just yeah. like you, you playing golf over the weekend, you know, you struggle, but you're going to get back on the horse probably today at some point. I, I could probably use some help with, with my mental <laughs> game. <laughs> I think I really could. Zen of golf. Great book. I also noticed you're wearing a, uh, a Cypress Ridge hat. Yeah. Uh, I played there for the first time this week. Great, great course. Great, great course. course. A lot of great courses on this central coast uh northern trek from santa barbara to san Luis. some great golf courses we let's 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 unlock a, a scouting myth real quick is it okay. true that you play a lot of golf as a scout and you wear a golf hat every time that you go to a scouting event well hopefully nobody from the cubs is listening but i can't say <laughs> that i play a, go a lot of golf 
but my golf clubs are in my trunk and I try to carve out as much time as possible. So that is that a politically correct answer? Yes. Safe answer. Well okay, done. Good. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about 2016. Um, obviously the year the Cubs won the world series and what was it? hundred and 108 years. No, 106, 108 is a long time. Okay. And you had some involvement. I mean, you'd been in the organization already for about five years. Um, did you, I want to know if you got a ring and I want to know your, your involvement. Did you sign any of the players or have any interaction with the players that were involved with that team? Well, um, I was involved. I was with the Cubs from ground zero. So when Theo Epstein took over in 2011, 2012, we were bottom dwellers. So uh, really from the, the point that Theo and his uh, staff of Jason McLeod and Jed Hoyer, the main three, took over, amateur scouting became a high priority, uh, building the organization from within. So they gave us our marching orders and it, it was exhilarating, frustrating. I mean, you had the highs and the lows, just like as a player going out and trying to get the information on the best players in the country. I mean, our first draft, uh, my first draft, uh, we took Albert Amora, Almora, a high school kid out of Florida who's still in the organization. Um, I had a chance that year at getting Max Freed out of Harvard-Westlake, but we chose Almora because he was a little bit more known commodity. The pitching high school demographic is a little bit more problematic as far as the developmental process. Uh, but Almora turned out to be on that 2016 team that won the World Series. So he was a contributor right out of the gate. Max Fried now is a uh, staple with the Atlanta Braves. So yes, did I, was I involved? I scouted Chris Bryant, who we ended up selecting in the first round out of um, University of San Diego. Um, there were some other players in the organization uh, at that point in time that I evaluated and was part of the evaluation process. So even as a scout, you may not have your name directly attached to a player on that major league roster. There's a good chance that all of us have some type of input along the way in the uh, overall process. So um, 2016, uh, my fingerprints are on there, even though they're small, but I was part of the, uh, as I tell people, I'm a spoke in the wheel. And uh, to see us go from bottom to top, it was exhilarating because it's nice to be part of an organization that grows. And then at the end of the day, uh, there's a point of excellence that you're all a part of. And you see the fruits of your labor. So it was exhilarating. Spoke in the wheel. It's a great baseball cliche. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, thinking about it, it made me think about Burl Durham for some reason. But no, it, I mean it's true. Like, in order to accomplish something like that, I mean it, it takes. It's not just one person. It's not just five people. I mean it's a, it's an entire organizational effort. And to be consistently good, I've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about being consistently good, and it's so hard to do at the professional level because there are so many different parties involved. And if there is a, if someone's lacking off in one area that affects everything else, it might not happen right away, but it does slowly. And having a quality individual at each position, scouting on the field, in the office, like everything involved is, is vital. And when you came out, cause you've had, you've come out to, Caesar Saga Stadium to talk to the Gauchos a couple times, and that's something that you take serious because you're presenting, you're doing this presentation to these college players and telling them their ex, like the Cubs' expectations, what they're looking for. Like, if that's not taken seriously, it doesn't trickle up to the top. And what? Let's see, what kind of things? Because I don't want to talk about those presentations because you, you do them frequently. Like, what kind of things are you telling the players? What are you showing them um, in those presentations? Well, uh, I, I agree with you, Kevin. I think it's a uh, marching order from the top that you should expect yourself to be excellent. And, you know, every time I put on my 
logoed golf shirt with the Cubs. I demand that out of myself. Uh, I, I expect my boss to demand that out of me. So, yeah, when I go in and talk to the Gauchos or any players or I sit down with a family, uh, I'm representing the Cubs first and Tom Myers. And I want the player, after they're done hearing my spiel or the parents to hear my presentation, that they say the Chicago Cubs were the best at uh, their in-house visit or their presentation. Because, again, I'm all about winning and winning for our team. So it's a reflection on myself, but it, I'm, it's a reflection on our organization. And I want that to be uh, the, the the label. We want to be the standard. And that was Theo's uh, mantra when he took over is that, you know, we're starting out of the bottom, but we're building something. And people are going to take notice. And when we get to the top, they're going to very, they're going to understand why, because we carried ourselves on a different level. And now working with youth players, that's just my same mantra is like every day you come to the field, if you don't care, hold yourself to a high standard, you're losing time and somebody else is taking that time to become better than you. So it's now my lifelong uh, mantra. When I wake up, it doesn't matter. Today, I want to be the best speaker uh, on your podcast. So hopefully you uh, can tell me that later. Absolutely. You're, you're doing a great job so far. Thank you. So you've been in the business. You've been a, a lifelong coach to this point. What kind of advice do you have for high school players, college players who probably don't have a future as a player, but have a future in the dugout or with a clipboard? Like what kind of advice can you pass on to, to those individuals? Well, it's a great question. And it's because as an evaluator, as a coach, you know that there's some players that are more gifted than others. And it'd be easy for any mentor to just spend their time and attention on those uh, more talented individuals that may have a longer, a brighter future physically in the game, but you don't want to leave. And that's, again, the wrong approach as a coach because it's a team game. And it, the guy that is the 25th man on your roster, as he's as just as important as maybe the guy that's classified as number one. There should be no difference in the way they're treated or coached. And I want number 25 to take that message and eventually go back and become either a high school coach because he's passionate and he loves the game, or more importantly, at some point he's going to be a dad and have a son and he is the future of the game of baseball. He's going to teach the same lessons that I've been taught from my mentors. And it's just that continual process of passing down and maybe sharpening uh, your presentation along the way and it continues to get better and better, but that information is be, being disseminated the correct way. So the game lives on and lives strong and everybody can, provide and be associated with the game moving forward i love that it's it's all about the future of the game it's it's always growing it's always evolving and and we've seen it a lot i mean just these last six months and a lot of i think a lot of stones have been overturned uh as far as baseball goes and and we're moving on and we you know we might struggle through it but i think the future is bright and knowing the coaches that I have worked with and, and the players that I've been involved with, like, I think there's a bright future for baseball. And if people can take that philosophy, I think we're headed to a good place. Um, it's the greatest game there is. And yeah. it, as they always say, the cliche that it's uh, just like life, there's no doubt about it because there's so many ups and downs and, We've all dealt with this COVID situation and we're going to continue to have to deal with it as a society. And it's just like a, a bad spell where you're in an 0 for 18 slump. Do you give up or do you just keep working at it until you find a solution to make things go the right way? We have to do that in real life. And I think the leaders in our game are finding that as the same uh, thought process moving forward to keep the game going strong for fan appeal and for all of us. Yeah, and I think the the, the, the teams, the, the coaches, the players that are going to have success, the most success coming out of this are those who are able to stay focused and have goals and 
continue to mentally prepare yourself for when you're back on the field. And I think it will separate it will separate those who do a good job with that and those who don't do a good job about that. I think we're going to see it, you know, if we're playing a college season, which I anticipate we will be in the spring, we're going to see that right away, I'm pretty sure. No doubt about it. I think uh, the stronger programs, the well-coached programs, the forward thinkers, just like your your boss, the coaching staff at UCSB, I think you guys are well-equipped for the 2021 season that's going to have a lot of change. So speaking of future, what does the future for Tommy Myers look like? Because you've been, this will be your 11th, 10th season with the Cubs? 10 years. So, I mean, uh, I'm entering my 10th with the Gauchos. So, um, <laughs> it's a good run, right? You mentioned it has been a good run. You mentioned, uh, like, you won a World Series. We went to the World Series. It's been good. But uh, you, you did mention the word uh, decade. That's something that I don't toss around very much in my, in my youth because <laughs> I think I'm still a youth. But it's been, it's been 10 years for you with the Cubs. Uh, were where is uh, the future of Tommy Myers? Where's it going? Well, I've been told that if you do anything for 10 years, that's like a, a great career achievement. So I will uh, be grateful that for the 10 years with the Cubs, I will continue to be a great teammate and do my job to the best of my ability and continue to provide opportunities for local players and build my program here in Santa Barbara on the central coast. And so other Young players can have a potential lifestyle that I've had because baseball is a lifestyle. It's not uh, the most glamorous, but it's a great one if you want it to be that way. Um, so I'm going to keep plugging along. And Major League Baseball has been great for me as a player and now as a scout. Baseball has been fantastic. And I'm going to enjoy every day and every moment of it because, yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty uh, from day to day. But it's my driving force and it's what keeps me going. So I'm just going to keep plugging ahead. That sounds good to me. I will take that and put it in my back pocket. Cause that's what I want to. And uh, <laughs> we, we hope to see you out at Caesar Wasaka stadium very, very soon. And uh, we hope to see you on the road too. If the Gauchos are playing road games, cause I have seen you in ballparks all over the place. I'll we'll show up at LMU. We'll show up at UNLV. It's Oh, like, it's Tom Myers out there doing his thing. So, Tom, well, Kevin, you know, you know, I'll be. I'm like the uh, the the scout fan of the Gauchos. I love. I mean, I need to get a Gaucho in my uh, rotisserie of players. You do. Now, you know that that's something I want moving forward. I have turned in quite a few, but it doesn't always work out the way you want. <laughs> um, but I'm a huge fan of the program, the university. Andrew Check gets in his coaching staff, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, Tommy, thank you so much for the time this morning, and um, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. Take care. All right, that's Tom Myers. All right, thank you to our sponsor, Kyle's Kitchen. Please follow the Gauchos on their social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter. Go check us out because uh, hopefully we'll be starting baseball soon. Um, also, big thanks to... Spencer and David, I know it's tough for them to watch baseball games and talk about it, but uh, thanks for them for coming on and sharing their analytical stuff. And then thank you to Tom Myers. I had a great conversation with Tom, and uh, we talked afterwards you know, about life, about baseball life. I mean, it's a, it is a lifestyle. It's, it's rewarding and challenging all at the same time. And I find myself now in the thick of it, and, and I've had a lot of time to think about stuff. And this is one of the things that I've really loved doing this podcast. And the interview with Tom was just a, a good reminder that I enjoy connecting with gouches in the past or gouches who have played in the past and gouches who are still having an impact. And he, even though he's not a, an, a direct relation with the gauchos, he's still having an impact in the Santa Barbara area. And I love that. And thank Tommy for the time. Next week, we will have Noah Davis and Eric Yang. They played together in Billings. They're both in the Reds organization. We're going to talk to them, check up on their summers, how they are keeping in shape, and what their futures look like as minor league players with the Cincinnati Reds. So that's what's on tap next week. And uh, watch Bieber. He pitches on Thursday. 
against Detroit. That's a 4-10 first pitch. And then also keep an eye out for Kyle Nelson pitching with the Indians and Dylan Tate pitching with the Orioles. So uh, lots of stuff going on, and there will be much more to talk about next week here on the Gotcha 9 Podcast.